Hello. Hi there. How are you today? I'm all right. I got blood taken. Oh, on purpose? <laughs> no, someone just who stole it from you? <laughs> yeah, someone stopped me on the street and they just stuck a vial in me. Oh, I hate when that happens. I know it's a big epidemic in this country. Yeah, and you're pale enough that whenever you lose some blood, it's like a pretty big deal. Noticeable, yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> no, it was just a routine checkup. But the lady was like, "Do you ever faint when you give blood?" And I was like, "Haven't yet." Uh, <laughs> she like <laughs> laughed really hard. I'm glad you brightened her day then. A little bit of blood humor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How was your day? Um, my day has been fine so far. Nothing very exciting mm -hmm. happening for me, I guess. Okay. Which, yeah, I'm I'm hoping this minisode makes things a little more exciting for me. I don't know what we're gonna get into, but I'm always excited about it. I had a new show that I really wanted to talk about. It's a show that all I get on Instagram now, I think, because all I do is like talk about this podcast on my Instagram. So like the algorithm knows that I like TV. So I get mm -hmm. all these TV show ads, and I sent this one to you. It's Somebody Somewhere on HBO. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah. So there's only two episodes out so far, and I've watched both of them, and I love it. I think it is so just delightful, and it is a beautiful representation of, like, rural America, I think. Okay. So basically, if you haven't seen it, this woman, she moves back to her hometown in the in the past like you don't see her do this in the show but she moves back to care for her dying sister and then her sister dies and then we pick up with her you know a little bit after that when she's like going through all the grief and everything and she's just trying to adjust to being back in like the same town that she grew up in and she used to be in show choir and so like this girl on the show choir wrote a tell-all book about her time <laughs> in like high school show choir and she like reconnects with this guy that I guess she went to high school with who she has no memory of but they start to form like an adult friendship with each other and it's just like really cute and nice and I think that like people think that these like rural towns like there are no kind of weirdos in them or maybe maybe people don't think that but I think that this show like highlights that even in a small town in America you still have like a really diverse group of people there's like gay people and like trans people like it happens everywhere and they somehow like find each other in this small town and like bond and I don't know it's just really nice and it feels relatable as someone who grew up in Clearfield which is a really small town. Cool I was actually going to say I would bet that there is a large contingent of people out there who thinks that there are only weirdos in small towns yeah. <laughs> but I think I know what you mean by the term weirdos like not your typical right. straight and white and happy you know kind of exactly people that you expect to find in America's small towns and it's in like a farm community in like Kansas so you just expect mm. I would expect everyone there to be like Christian white like you know normal family unit and it really seems mm -hmm. like this show is like representing like the truth of a small town which is that like people who are outside that norm exist everywhere and it can be really hard for them to like find a community within their community but it's there for them mm -hmm. i don't know yeah it's that's cool. really nice it's funny 
but it's also like it is it is pretty sad in parts because like she's just extremely unhappy (laughs) you saying that sort of brings to mind the hbo show we're here which i have talked Mm -hmm. about briefly i think on the podcast before but it's a show in which three drag queens who have come up through the rupaul's drag race universe go to (laughs) different small cities across america and find people who exist outside of the typical picture of what small town america would be i guess or just want to be an ally to those people and they put on a drag performance at the end of the episode in that town and it's just always amazing to me to see the kinds of people that they discover everywhere that they go and to hear the stories of those people that are you know some of them kind of feel stuck in the you know town where they were raised or they ended up in this place and don't really have a you know a community or don't feel like it is where they belong but mm-hmm. you know there are those people everywhere it's not unique to that one place but they can find that community through the art of drag sometimes yeah. and that's really cool i think to be able to see they you know have gone all over the country and done that everywhere you know everywhere that they've gone <laughs> they've put on these amazing performances and they have found people that have that you can tell like going through an experience like that has meant so much to them i just think that's cool actually those two shows like that's a really apt comparison i think they give me like a similar feeling when i'm watching them even though they're very different both hbo shows so that's true i think i feel like hbo is maybe trying to tap into more of the middle america segment than they have before not that they've like completely ignored it or made content that small towners in america couldn't relate to but it's always been that prestige kind of feeling the elite television that made it onto hbo and i think maybe with the expansion of hbo max they've sort of had to reach a little bit more to to content that can please everybody across the spectrum so maybe they're more willing to take chances on stuff like that you saying that reminds me of something i wanted to ask you today that i completely forgot about but as i was editing buffy which was our main episode this week we talk a lot in it about like pre-golden age of TV to, like, now the golden age of TV. Mm -hmm. But then I started thinking, and I don't know if I really necessarily think we are still in the golden age of TV. I 100% agree with that. I think it's Yeah? (laughs) I do, too. Like, I just think the proliferation of, like, all of these streaming services and, like, the race to produce so much content has actually ended that, like, beautiful period of time from, like, 2005 to, like, 2015 or, like, whatever you want to say, where, like, Mm -hmm. all of the amazing shows were coming out. Yes, I feel like the, I don't know if it's just that the creative resources in Hollywood have just kind of been diluted because they've been spread out so far to so many different services and so many different projects. There's just so much being created right now that you might not have the brain trust, I guess, if you want to (laughs) use that word, of people who can collaborate on a show like, I don't know, Breaking Bad or like Mad Men or 30 Rock or, you know, these shows that had these incredible writing teams that all then went on to, you know, create and produce their own projects and stuff like that. Like, I don't see that same kind of thing happening as much nowadays. It just feels, I don't know, like there's not as much exciting stuff happening like I look at uh, the nominees for like all the major awards and stuff like that and I just go like I might watch one or two of these shows but it's it just feels sort of like tepid to me it's not as 
thrilling as I would say five or ten years ago when it was like really anyone's guess who could win a certain award or who was even going to be nominated. Yeah. Wow. It's like kind of sad. Yeah, I know. And like (laughs) one idea might be that we would have even more amazing content these days because there is so much more content being made that, you know, you would think sort of proportionally (laughs) that there might be a lot more great stuff being churned out these days than ever before. But I feel like the opposite has kind of happened. And that makes me sad. Yeah. And like going back to what you said about HBO or HBO Max, maybe trying to reach more of like a middle America audience or whatever, like the reality is like someone in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, like, I don't think is watching Euphoria, you know? And, like, not that Euphoria was one of the shows created for them, but, like, I still think, like, the vast majority of, like, the prestige content out there is not really reaching that audience necessarily. Like, I don't know. I I think I go back to, like, me talking about Virgin River, my favorite, (laughs) like, terrible Netflix series, but like so many people watch that. I forget the number of like billions of minutes watched of that show. Mm-hmm. And like, I think the reality is like most people just want to watch something like that because it's easy. Yeah. And then you have like us and like people who live in <laughs> LA and New York and that's like it. <laughs> and some people who listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh feel like we're just bumming ourselves out. I know. Let's talk about something else now. Joss Whedon! Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's going to make us feel any better, but... <laughs> I mean, probably not, considering <laughs> the things that we could talk about surrounding him. You had sent me an article from New York Magazine mm-hmm. with a big profile on Joss Whedon. Huge profile. Yes. Pretty long. <laughs> uh, but I did read it, and I just was thinking the whole time why did he think this was a good idea (laughs) i have no idea and like the thing that kept coming up for me and every time they mentioned it in the article i cringed so hard is when they talked about him just getting up and leaving the room yes and then coming back in and instead of just like playing it off like openly admitting like my therapist told me to just walk away when i feel uncomfortable to get up and say i had to pee whenever yeah. i felt uncomfortable like oh, Which, okay that weirdly reminds me of my therapist i was like going to go start taking those improv classes and i was really nervous and she was like well do you think you could just have a beer before you go? And I was like, that doesn't seem like something a therapist should tell me to do. (laughs) A few days later, I sent you that article with Jeremy Strong, the guy that plays Kendall on Succession. And the Joss Whedon article is what made me look that one up because that article came out and everyone was like, why did you agree to do this? Like, this makes Mm. you look like a lunatic. And I think that the Joss Whedon one did the same thing. I don't know. Like, did it make you have any sympathy for him at all? Because I know it didn't on my end. No, it didn't. Like, I could tell from, like, the first, I don't know, minute that I read of that article that I was like, this is not going to redeem him. And it seems like he knew going into it almost that it wasn't going to redeem him. And yet he did it anyway. Like, I I just feel like he dug his hole a little bit deeper. I mean, he denied all of the, or most of the allegations, I should say, not all. But, you know, most of the things that people have said about him, he had some kind of really bad excuse or (laughs) answer to. And it was, like, not helping him at all. I was just like... I don't 
I will not have sympathy for him. Sorry, but, like, you've kind of proven through everything that you have said and done here to me that I, like, I don't need to hear any more from you. Like, I shouldn't have even heard this, and I'm done. Another highlight is him saying that Gal Gadot just... English isn't her first language. Right. <laughs> so she probably didn't understand what he was saying. Uh-huh. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> he could have approached this article in a more strategic way mm-hmm. in which I think he could, he honestly could have salvaged himself. If he yeah. just came out in this article and instead of making excuses about like, I saw a kid drown when I was five or like my mommy loved me so much that Mm -hmm. like, I'm not okay. Like if he had just owned up to it even a little bit, like, yes, I was terrible to these women. And this is why I think that is, but I admit that I did wrong. I think that would have moved the dial a little closer to him. Like maybe working again or like mm-hmm. maybe getting some kind of redemption because it isn't a Kevin Spacey thing. It isn't a Harvey Weinstein thing. Like it's still horrible, but he didn't sexually right. assault someone. He right. was just a complete asshole and like did other things. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's crazy. He did it. I don't know. Yeah. I am really interested to read the Jeremy Strong article, though. I have not read it yet, but I'll let you know my thoughts once I do. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the article is, like, a piece of art. It is, like, a beautifully Hmm. written article, and I'll be curious to see what you think about it, because it didn't make me that off-put by him as a person. I was just like, oh, here's, like, a really eccentric performer who is like, maybe just too obsessed with his, like, method of playing this character. But then I also thought, well, I mean, maybe I should save it. I don't, it just was an interesting parallel to Kendall's arc in mm-hmm. season three of Succession for me. And it made me think, did you do this on purpose? But <laughs> you told me you figured out who the Audrey Hepburn internet yes. fans thing. <laughs> right. In our last minisode, I mentioned that the internet had put forth a suggestion for who should have been cast as Audrey Hepburn over Rooney Mara. And I went and found that the internet suggestion was Lily Collins, which I can see, like, looks-wise, yeah, she looks like her a lot, I think. I can't say I've seen enough of Lily Collins's acting, though, to know for sure. I can't think of a single thing that I have actually seen her in other than a cameo in the last episode of the most recent season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, (laughs) which is, like, not really a gauge of someone's acting talent. So, I don't know, have you seen Lily Collins in anything? I just watched the first season of Emily in Paris. Is she even in anything? She did the movie Rules Don't Apply. Um, which I did not see, but she was nominated for a Golden Globe for it. But mm. I don't think anyone saw it. That's why she got nominated. Yes. <laughs> the studio was really trying to make people people see it, so they paid for the Golden Globe nomination. But She's fine in Emily in Paris. I just don't particularly think that's a role that, like, is that hard to play. Like, if you're a mm-hmm. pretty, like, 20 to 30-something-year-old actress who can deliver a line with... 50% comedic timing you could play that role like it's not mm. like it's it's not groundbreaking Emily in Paris is 
another show that is, I think, written by AI. Like, it is so strange. I did watch the first season. I don't really think I'm going to watch the second season. It wasn't the most offensive show I've ever seen, but it's just definitely not good. So that raises the question, what is the most offensive show you've ever seen? (laughs) That is a great question. Um, hmm. I'm trying to think of what my answer would be now, too. I mean... I am a big hater of One Tree Hill. I know that's, like, taking it back a long (laughs) way, but that show is Uh pretty offensive to me. (laughs) I'm trying to think of, like, any shows that I've watched, and I'm limiting it to to scripted shows here, because, like, there's a lot of terrible trash reality shows that I've watched that would be pretty offensive. Some of which we'll be talking about later this season. (laughs) (laughs) Right. As for scripted shows, I feel like I have not watched that many shows that, like, really reviled me. Oh, you know what I might say would be most offensive? This is Us. Only because it is intended to be emotional torture for people. (laughs) Like, it's just so overblown melodrama and i am not really here for that it was like it was fine but it i did not feel like it deserved the obsession that it elicited from so many people and it was just like not my jam man that show falls into the same trap as like any other show that's on like abc nbc cbs for me where it'll be even if it's like good to start with it's such a limited window where it will remain good right because they just feel the need to escalate things to an insane place of Mm -hmm. over-the-top nonsense yeah is there anything else that we can talk about today? I don't know if I have anything specific. I'm still on my Yellowstone journey. Okay. I'm enjoying it. I'll probably finish it soon. And then I think I'm going to watch another yellow show. I'm going to watch Yellow Jackets next. Have you heard anything about it? I have heard about it and I am intrigued by it, but I've not watched any of it yet. Please let me know what you think if you watch it. I will. For anyone listening, I think it's about like a, it takes place in two timelines. There's a girl's Wait, a girl's sports team crashes in, like, a remote region of the country, I guess, or somewhere. And then there's, like, them as adults. And then, like, kind of, like, Lord of the Flies-esque energy happening when they're (laughs) living in the wilderness together. So, it sounds good. I've heard only good things about it, so. Mm -hmm. I'm not really watching anything at the moment. I need to, like, decide what I want to watch next. It will probably be something for this podcast, so I guess I don't want to, like, talk all about it in the minisodes, <laughs> so... Uh, but I do need to find, like, another fun little binge of some kind. Well, I guess on that note, we'll say goodbye. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, <laughs> listeners, and we'll catch you next time. Bye! Bye-bye! Thanks for listening to Televisionary. If you like what you heard, share this episode with a friend. You can follow us on Instagram at Televisionary Podcast, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Bye!